Hello, true believers. Are you a fan of the Thunder Road trilogy? How about Graveyard Mind? We have the author, Chadwick Ginther, on the episode this week. And we talk about the writing process. We talk about gaming. We talk about the influence of gaming on writing. Um, it's a nerdy as all get out podcast. Been wanting to get Chadwick on the show for quite a while. And uh, we finally did it. And i um, very excited for this one. This is one that was on the books for a while. And uh, here it is. Very, very excited. When I'm not drinking bourbon or writing blues songs, I listen to the Sean Geek podcast over on seanmcginnity.ca. And you should too. everybody welcome to the sean geek podcast say hello todd hello todd <laughs> uh today we have a guest illustrious uh, writer from winnipeg by the name of chadwick ginther say hello chadwick hey everyone so um chadwick's someone that i wanted to have on the show for a while uh someone that Corey taves pushed me to have on the show uh someone uh, Dylan Lee pushed me to have on the show, and uh, here it is. Finally, I finally had the <laughs> the gall to ask you. All right, well, I'll have to pour Dylan a, a glass of whiskey, and uh, I'll. Uh, I already put Corey in one of my books as a as a Tucker nation, <laughs> so I don't know that he's getting any, getting anything else from me. But. No, no, I think I think he's got enough already. <laughs> um, but yeah, he needs to add you in his strip. Is what he needs to. Yeah. Um, actually Todd is, uh, going to make his debut, uh, in the strip, uh, within the next couple of weeks. Sweet. Uh, he's coming in as the wait. muscle. <laughs> I, I can't wait. It should be, it's going awesome. to be wicked. Yeah. I've seen some, a couple, a couple of drafts, so it looks pretty good. I, I like, uh, yeah, when I'm in there, I'm jacked. He always draws me jacked. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> I'll take that any day. Um, so so Chadwick, the reason I wanted to have you on, uh, and this is uh, the format of the show, we don't really, it, it's not interview style, we don't have a lot of guests on, it just we just want to have a conversation about stuff. Now, from talking to Dylan, um, Dylan is a huge gaming nerd, obviously. Uh, I'm a huge gaming nerd, and I know that you are a massive gaming nerd, uh, big comic book collector, ditto. Uh, and you have a, uh, a predilection for Thor and that sort of stuff, uh, which is damn cool. Yeah. So all those things, all those things, all those things. <laughs> uh, do you want to just kind of pimp your stuff a little bit, and then we can get into storytelling? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm I'm the author of four novels and uh, about twenty published uh, short stories right now. Uh, my first series is the Thunder Road trilogy, which, um, 
reimagines Norse mythology, mythology happening on the prairies in contemporary times. Uh, it, uh, it follows an Alberta oil worker who uh, gets caught up in some of Loki's shenanigans and ends up getting tattooed with a bunch of the powers of the Norse gods. So uh, that's the first book series. Uh, then uh, there's Graveyard Mind, which uh, is necromancers and uh, spooky stuff, also set in Winnipeg. Um, after Tombstone Blues, the second book in the Thunder Road trilogy, I don't think I was quite done with dealing with the haunted side of Winnipeg, so I wanted to lean into that a lot more. So I went uh, went with a little more horror influence for the second second fantasy series, and uh, that's kind of what I do. Most of my most of my writing uh, is mythology influenced. Uh, pretty much all fantasy of one stripe or another, where it's whether it's contemporary or sword and sorcery epic uh don't really do a lot of science fiction so that's what i write cool todd todd what do you got there uh i was just gonna say you're percolating so you've got you've got one that that's just been released today swashbuckling cats (laughs) yes uh it's uh it's a i have a short story in uh in swashbuckling cats nine lives on the seven seas uh, which kind of started as a weird thing on Twitter. Uh, the editor of that anthology was uh, joking about how, how she had pitched another anthology uh, to her publisher, starting off the conversation with Yar. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm very professional. And it just kind of became this people sending her cat gifts, people sending her pirate gifts. And then uh, she was joking Oh, I should just do a, a swashbuckling cat anthology, and I found this. I found this gif of a Norwegian forest cat with an axe and a Viking shield, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, you have my axe!" And uh, I'm like, "I don't. Oh, this is this anthology is never going to happen." <laughs> and then there's an open call, and I'm like, "Well, I egged her on. I better give her a story." And uh, so I decided to to write an in canon in my Thunder Road universe cat story. Oh, so uh, it's actually in canon. Oh, yeah, it, uh, it takes place. It, it it takes place during the Viking Age, so it's well before any of the Thunder Road stuff happens. And uh, it's the protagonist is a is a ship cat after all of the sailors uh, on their longship have been killed, and they're the cats are kind of staring into the eye of the storm. And the first line of the story is, "Well, we're fucked." <laughs> and, uh, so there. when you were. So when you were doing so with Thunder Road and this whole mythological uh, bent that, that that you got going on, like I'm a huge mythology fan. In fact, I ran a I ran a Marvel superheroes RPG game, like the old Phase Rip system that eventually. I'm running that right now. Are you really? Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, I've got a I've got a Phase Rip game uh, that I, I decided to set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, the campaign kicked off. Uh, it started basically just post Civil War, so the Sokovia Accords are there, and Spider Man has just shown up, and he's the inspiration for why these heroes are hiding their names and their faces. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, sweet. Um, did you switch? Okay, Todd, we're going into full nerd here. <laughs> I'll, so. let, I'll let you guys uh, uh, go for <laughs> for a few minutes. <laughs> 
Feel feel free to interject, Todd, anytime. <laughs> okay. Todd's Todd's the straight man. Always the uh, the uh, he, he's a a geek about music uh, more than uh, we ever could be. But um, I'm more of a PC uh, the PC gamer type. Okay. Less less tabletop stuff. I will break him one day, though. <laughs> That's my goal. Um. So did you? So were you a fan of the the old phase rip system like from way back in the day? Like why did you go back to it? Uh one of the first one of the first games I played after D&D. Um my high school gaming group played a ton of Marvel with that system. I always I've always felt that it captured uh superheroes and comics very well. I've tried a ton of other superhero systems since and I've never found one I liked more. Uh, although, uh, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but there's one called tiny supers that I really like, uh, oh. that I backed on Kickstarter, very minimalist system. Um, I haven't uh, even heard same. of that one yet. Okay. Uh, what, what? I, I gotta uh, look for it then. <laughs> publisher is gallant night games. Writing it down. Uh, um, they do. Uh, I, I found out about them when they did a mechas and monsters game. Okay. Uh, uh, and and I really like that game. I played their Tiny Dungeon, which is like a minimalist fantasy game. Uh, love all their stuff. Um, but I haven't had a chance to play their superhero game yet. And there's another one that just came out that I backed on Kickstarter called Spectaculars, uh, which seems like it would capture comics very well. Like it, you okay. built the city as a group, and there's various roles and like power cards, and it. Uh, I, I've read the box set um, and I've watched a couple of live plays, but I haven't had a chance to get it to the table with my group yet. Looks promising. Okay. Uh, Did you ever play a bash? No. It was it, it was meant to be kind of like a, it was very much in the vein of Marvel superheroes role playing game, like the original Phase Rip. Mm-hmm. Um, not bad. Um, so you probably gave mutants and masterminds a, a go. I did. Uh, never ran that one. I played uh, played in a few sessions of that. Uh, tried Villains of Vigilantes. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, don't think I ever tried Champions. Uh, yeah, I haven't tried Champions either. I've tried Villains and Vigilantes. I was actually... Um, so I, I don't know how this happened, but I got in touch with Steve Kenson, uh, the guy who did, wrote Mutes and Masterminds like for Green Ronin. Yeah. And uh, we actually were part of the play test uh, for one of the modules, which was, to me, that was like, that's pretty cool. it, it, it was like I met David Bowie or something, you know, <laughs> it was, it was that level. Um, we were running the phase rip system for so long and then mutants and masterminds came out and we just moved everything over to it. And that came, that campaign ran for 10 years. And um, the reason I'm bringing it up is the whole culmination of everything was that, the gods had come back and they were running everything behind the scenes all along. And that was the culmination of the, the end of the campaign where all these supers are popping up and it's all because the gods have set it up. So it was when I, when I heard about Thunder Road, I'm like, Oh man, that's like, that's like Marvel superheroes here. Like there's, there's yeah. something on like that. I, pretty cool. I, I didn't even realize it at the time when I was writing it. I, I thought I was writing like, another urban fantasy like dresden files or oh sure or uh like the mercy thompson books and it's like yeah my guy's gonna get some powers and this and that and, and i realized and I'm like i made him a superhero like, like, <laughs> he like, totally I, did. So, like he's a superhero 
And and then uh, I kind of like looked back at some of like my formative reading, which was not, I mean, I read a lot of fantasy, but uh, in terms of a contemporary sort of fantasy, all my my formative reading was Chris Claremont's run on X-Men. And I'm like, okay, well, a lot of this is his fault then. Yeah, it's all his fault. <laughs> it's all his fault. Um, the book I'm writing now, it, it started out as a uh, not, uh, it was just going to be a book about kids in trouble and that sort of thing. And then, you know, lo and behold, Chris Claremont's fault again. Like, damn it. It's like, it, they're, they got superpowers. All right. I'll just, and I just went with it. And once I, I let go of that, I, I always felt like I'm not a real writer from writing comic books. That was kind of always what was pushed on me. And I'm like, fuck it. And I just went with it and I'm actually having a lot of fun with it now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be a writer. Don't know if I would be the reader I am if it wasn't for comic books. Like they were what got me reading. So yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um um I want to talk about Marvel Superheroes some more. <laughs> I want to talk about this campaign you're running. So is it um did you so you're using pre-established characters, so all the characters from the movies, and that's who your players are, or uh, no. or? Uh, they are they made up their own characters. I gave them the option of uh, introducing an existing Marvel Comics character that has not been on screen yet, ah. or they could make up their own character. Um, and everybody ended up doing uh, doing their own characters. Cool. Uh, and it, I was kind of imagining it was going to be more like the Defenders, like yeah. Power Man, yeah. Iron Fist, Daredevil kind of levels. But uh, I, I tried something new for character generation. I had them roll randomly uh with the uh, the old ultimate powers book yeah, yeah yeah um but we did it as a draft like a snake draft style and so i rolled an extra character worth of attributes and powers and things and then everybody went through snake draft style and picked what they wanted from the rolls oh, okay so somebody would be like i really want that it's like if i take that role uh i'll have i'll have monstrous strength i want that so they'll they like they were taking roles and applying it to whatever their their character type was whether they were an android or an altered human or whatever and so, so what's what's the max uh, level then uh any, of any power or ability the highest uh highest power rank uh highest, well, the highest power rank anybody has is amazing uh, oh so you do have amazing okay um, but uh, in attributes, we've got a few in monstrous level, and one person, uh, because of their template, got a bonus to their reason. So we we actually have one character with unearthly reason. So they're as smart as the Watcher. It's wow. ridiculous. Like they're like they're like, would I be able to figure this out? And I'm like, well, you're smarter than anybody that could possibly exist. So sure. <laughs> so to give Todd some perspective here. So the, the the names of the ranks are all kind of um, adjectives from the comic book. So like the lowest, the lowest is um, feeble, feeble, and it goes feeble, poor, typical, <laughs> and then uh, the that higher end. Be typical, right? Yeah, typical. Yeah, the uh, kind of the high water mark is unearthly, which is a hundred points. Mm-hmm. Amazing is fifty. Incredibles forty. I still have. I still remember all this stuff. Yeah. 
But um, how long that uh, stuck in my head when I wasn't even playing the game. But do you find so? Okay, so here's the question: Like when I when I'm writing, when I'm writing anything, do you go back to that table, the phase rip table, and go, "That's a remark. That's a good. That's a tip." Like, is that when you're? Do you build that way at all? Character uh, creation? Not not typically. I I mean, when I I first started trying to make up characters if we weren't randomly rolling i would look at their chart and be like okay spider-man is this agile or you know wolverine is, is you know his intuition is this good so how would my character conceivably stack up against that i did that when i was doing a little bit of character creation but not often i don't really do it when i'm when i'm building villains I, I found it sticking out. That chart would stick out to me when I was reading comics after I played. The oh, game. yeah. Or like I'd be like, that clearly weighs more than ten tons. I don't think he could have lifted that. Right? Like, <laughs> oh God, yeah, I do the same. It's like, oh, he not he he flipped that car way too easily. For what, what do you th- what do you think of that? Marvel had that re- that resource book. It was not the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, but it was like a a later thing. It was a handbook that came out probably like ten years later ish. And it, it actually provided like levels to to all the stats. Yeah. Do, do you remember that? I vaguely remember that. I had the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. I, yeah. I, I still have the the black and white reprints, uh, the bind ups that. Uh, oh, really? But uh, yeah, they're yeah. just like newspaper stock. Yeah, 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 yeah. White. Uh, like the essential, and, the essential line sort of thing. Yeah, and like so, so out of date now. Uh, oh yeah. But uh, but it's still awesome. And like you look back at that, and there's like. John Byrne and Walt Simonson art and, and yeah, like, like they actually got the top that day. Right. So. Yeah. They got the top artists for, for that. I was, I, I was collecting, I don't have them all, but I have, you know, probably 60 or 70% of them, I think. But that was, that was always my resource when we didn't have a character in the role-playing game. I would go to those books to try to, you know, yeah, create it. Right. And usually the more obscure character, the better. Um, and that's, I think that's how I got into my love of the Marvel Legends line, like the action figures was, oh yeah, there's that weird guy on page 42 or, or whatever is like, you know, who's this spy master guy or, or who's, you know, or like that's the, the those handbooks are why uh, I like Paladin to this day. Like he's oh, just Paladin. Yeah, man. <laughs> From the Avengers. Yeah. He's like, he, you know, he yeah. was a mercenary and, and it was just like amazing. And uh, he wasn't a real Paladin. No, he, he, was, he was he was a mercenary <laughs> with a weird kind of puffy purple costume, yeah, yeah. and goggles, and yeah. uh, and he had a thing for the wasp. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, the other character I ended up liking because of this was uh, was Diamondback from the Serpent Society. Oh man! And like when when yeah. uh, Grunwald was doing his his Bloodstone hunt run, and then Diamondback became like a recurring character in Captain yep. America for ages. Yeah. Like that was awesome. So you have the Captain America run, then I take it. Yeah, I got that run. Uh, I ended up buying uh, Gail Simone's uh, Domino run. Uh, I, I was a huge Domino fan uh, from the X Force days, but I liked the art on the cover. And Gail's usually, uh, you know, I I enjoy Gail's comics. Uh, oh yeah, Gail's Gail's amazing. Uh, how much of the Cap- I wanted to ask you though, how much of the Captain run? Like, were you a longtime collector of Captain America? Uh, when did I, I started a little bit of, before the, uh, I think I started when, uh, like seriously buying those when just before, 
uh, not U.S. agent. Um, when when U.S. agent was first introduced, right? Yeah. Um, and and then you know when he when he took over as Captain America for a while. I think I think I can't remember what I can't remember what his name was at the time. I just remember that his sidekicks were right winger and left. Oh, it was uh, the uh, Patriot. Yeah, I think wasn't it? Super Patriot. Super Patriot. That's what it was. I think I was. Is that like around issue three hundred or something? Yeah, around there. Is that I got in? I I got in. I bought the issue where he goes back to the Red Skull's house. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. my first issue. That's my first and issue. I kind of followed Captain America for a long time. I think up until up until uh, he he turned into a, into Cap Wolf, and then I kind of tapped because <laughs> I didn't like the art anymore. <laughs> you didn't think Cap Wolf was cool? I mean, come on. I mean, well, he was a werewolf, <laughs> but I didn't like. It. After after uh, Ron Lim's uh, run on art, that the, yeah. whoever I can't remember who took over, but it just it didn't do anything for me. So. Oh man, Ron Lim, so good. <laughs> yeah, he was so. That's I think that was like that was my favorite artist at the time. Like that was the replacement to Burn for me. It was Ron Lim on Captain America. It was just really uh, he, great. He was a great. He was a great fit for that book. What is he doing now? Is he? I have not seen him on attached to anything in a long no. time. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a deep dive and see if I can find what he's working on. Yeah, Lim was uh, Secret Wars as well. I think, right? Did Lim do Secret Wars? I'm trying to remember. No. I know he was on Silver Surfer for a long while. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That which is why I collect. I think that. he did Infinity Gauntlet. He did the. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talk about superheroes all day, but I want to talk about gaming. So I, I want to talk about. Um, I'm curious about so. So your your background was comic books, and your background was gaming. Was this always like the the starting point to? I can write my own stuff. Was that kind of how that worked out for you, or is that where that came from? I think, well, I mean, like stories came at a real young age for me. Um, I had a, I had a great, great uncle that lived with my family when I was growing up. And, uh, he told me like, uh, Tarzan and Lone Ranger stories and stuff. Oh, yeah. like, his, like his old pulp stuff. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so that kind of imprinted on me when I was a kid. And then at one point or another, he's, he said, and I don't know if I was just, I was probably just harassing him like all day. And, uh, and, uh, he's like, I, I'm out of stories. You tell me a story. And so then I had to make up a story for him. And that would, that kind of like got juices flowing. And I was always a reader and, you know, I loved comics. And so I liked to draw when I was a kid. So I would draw my own superheroes and just kind of was always there. Um, D&D was probably the big thing to make me start telling my own stories because it like got me in the head of a character that wasn't me yeah. um, when I was just playing. And then I started running games and like building worlds and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was always kind of doing that, but I, I didn't write stories to write stories. I like I would come up with an idea for a story and that was enough for me. If I got it into a game, that was fine. But I, I didn't like sit down to write a short story or write a novel 
really uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I didn't, that didn't really seem like a thing that was possible at that time. Like, I didn't, I didn't know any writers for like, I didn't know any Canadian writers at that time, let alone yeah. Manitoban writers, let alone somebody from Morden or Winnipeg, right? Like it just, sure. you know, I w- did not seem possible at all. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of gradually, I started getting exposed to a few more Canadian writers, but I still didn't see a lot of Canadian fantasy names. Uh, no, that's for sure. At the time. Um, but yeah, I, I, when I moved to Winnipeg to stay in my mid twenties, um, I started working at a bookstore and then I saw Winnipeg writers launching books every day. And I'm like, I can do this. And then uh, one of my, one of the people I worked with had written a few books and published them, and he's like, "So do it. What's stopping?" <laughs> and you're like, "Oh shit, yeah, and then, yeah." I mean, he was just kind of he was kind of on me for a while. Like, how many words did you write today? Did you oh, finish nice. that story? Did you submit to that contest you you mentioned to me? Like, I mean, he was just kind of like nice. not badgering me, but it was just kind of no. accountable, right? Like, just kinda, yeah, yeah. And uh, he ended up becoming one of my first uh, first readers and, and critiquers, and and uh, yeah, just sort of just by seeing that it was a thing that could be done, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. And then I finished my first book, and uh, nothing really happened with it because it was fatally flawed. But you know, it I finished it. Yeah, and I, it went back and I revised it to try to make it better and. And so, uh, so was the I first book was, what, do it. so what was that? Like, was that first book fantasy or like yeah. what? Yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was, uh, kind of sword and sorcery, heroic fantasy, uh, set in a world of eternal winter, okay. uh, that started out a lot more high fantasy. And then kind of, as I worked my way through it, kind of got ground down to be very much like survival horror fantasy, Okay. You know, uh, in a, after a you know ecological collapse kind of thing, it was. I, I still really I, uh, my first published short story came out of that world, um, so it was worth it for something, I suppose. Sure. Um, but yeah, in terms of pacing and structure, uh, I think that the characters were solid. I think the basic plot and world were good, but the structure of the book. Um, was maybe a little ambitious for someone's first go, like you know, doing dealing with uh, six or seven tight point of view character arcs. Ooh, yeah. In one book, you know, in multiple points of the world, like it just it was it was a lot. And that was and, your first yeah. book. And it, I didn't. That was my first book. So you put a lot into your first book, <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, that one took me two years to finish drafting, and then I revised it for about six months, I think, before I started submitting it places. But uh, that showed me that I could write a book, and then the next one was a lot easier, and the next one was Thunder Road. So, Oh, the next one after that was Thunder Road? Yeah. Wow, not bad. Uh, I wanted to do something different, and uh, so I kind of stepped, I'm like, I'm going to do a, do a tighter book with just one point of view character. I'm going to set it in the modern world. All I had when I started that one was like 
blue collar guy and dealing with a world full of fantasy stuff. Yeah. And that was all I had when I sat down to write. It just kind of went. Was it a bit freeing to, so I, you do the first book, it's super complicated. You got all this crazy stuff going on. You're like, this is a mess. Were you a little bit kind of like, can I do this? Like, were you having imposter syndrome at all or, or not really? I, it's, it's funny. I, I, I probably have a lot more imposter syndrome now than I did before I got published. <laughs> like at, the, at the time it was just like, of course this is going to happen. And Oh really? Oh Thanks. yeah. Like I had a, I had a, I had a, a picture of Nick Cave up on my office door with a quote. Uh, I, I I'm paraphrasing because I don't know I don't know if this is exact now. I don't have it up anymore. Um, but it was like uh, writer's block is just a profound lack of confidence, and I've never felt that or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm just like, oh, you fool, <laughs> sweet summer child. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think when you're getting started, you almost need some of that confidence to deal with hearing no a lot. That's yeah, like, sure. Oh, I believe in this. It's going to find a home. I'm going to sell a story. I'm going to sell a book. Um, and uh, Thunder Road was the second easiest thing I've ever written. It was still tough to revise, but in terms of just getting a draft, yeah, um, I never struggled to come up like the story. Uh, it took me about nine months to draft. I was still very early in my routine then. Um, but it nine months to draft and then a few months after that to, to revise and I started submitting it, but it was, that one felt easy. So when you were doing it, was it, was it along the lines that were you planning it as three books or did you write so much and like, you know, I better split this up here or what? Like, how, uh, what was, was that? I was always planning that one to be a series. Uh, initially, I, I initially I had thought it was going to be uh, a trilogy of trilogies. I thought it was going to be nine books because nine and sure. Star, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> oh yeah, um, oh nine and nine. Yeah, I never even thought of that. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, so that was that was my kind of original plan, and I had sort of a the first three books were going to be kind of standalone adventures and then the next trilogy was going to be next three books was going to be an actual sort of ongoing trilogy arc and then there would be kind of a final trilogy to end everything that i wanted to say with the character and then uh because i don't i, I didn't plan out any of those books that was just the structure i envisioned and then because I didn't plan out any of those books, I wrote one line at near the end of Thunder Road and it sped up my timetable. And a book that I thought was going to be book four down the road, maybe, was like, nope, I'm writing it now. And <laughs> that was Tombstone Blues. And I wrote that in two months because I just like that story showed up whole cloth and I was chasing it on my keyboard. Like, I'm like, I, I can't stop typing or I'm going to uh, lose. Yeah. Wow. And uh, that was the yeah that was the easiest book I've ever I ever wrote was Tombstone Blues, a much harder one to fix, but it was, it was like the whole thing was there whole cloth when I start sat down. So it was harder to fix because you wrote it so quickly. Is that there was yeah there was a lot of errors in it, uh, continuity things, um, and there was occasionally there would be like I know this happens, but I'm not ready to write it right now. So I'd, I would do like 
just a chapter outline instead of writing oh. the chapter. I'm like, oh, I'll come back to this. And I would yeah, yeah. know what's happening now. I would just keep writing beyond that point. Um, there was one, like, structurally, there was one big mistake in it that I had to go back and fix where, where uh, there was a character that I wanted to give a larger role to that I... After I had done my revisions to Thunder Road, um, that character playing a larger role didn't make as much sense. So I'd strengthened the relationship between Ted and one of the Norns uh, in book one. So they were a lot, they kind of ended that book a lot tighter after my revisions. Oh, uh, okay. My first draft. And so when I went back to, to Tombstone Blues, I'm like, oh, it doesn't make sense for him to be. Uh, you know, renting a room at an old friend's place, like the two of them should be together. And, and so it, uh, that, that involved a lot of, you're like, Oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just find and replace Jenny with Tilda. And it's like, Oh no, they're two different, entirely different people. That doesn't work. So so I ended up like, I'm like, Oh, you know, it's not that much of the book. And it's like, no, I've got to rewrite eight of the 20 chapters. Yeah. So there was a lot more, a lot more revision in that book, but, but easy to draft. Yeah. So when you're, um, when you're it, go ahead. Sorry, I was say, when you're uh, when you're writing a story like that, and I'm assuming that every once in a while you get an idea for another story. Now, yeah. at that point, I'm I'm assuming you wouldn't stop what you're doing. You would just kind of I don't know. Do you do like notes, or would you do two of them at the same time? Uh. Depends on where I am in a project. Um, typically, if I get an I, just an idea for a story, mm-hmm. um, I almost always have like a little notebook in my back pocket, and I'll scribble that down. Like if I just happen to be out somewhere, and I'm like, oh, this could be a this could be a kernel of a story, or or I hear overhear something, and I, I get an idea for a conversation. Like I I write that down, mm-hmm. uh, scribble it in my notebook, boom done gone i can come back to it if i need it um very rare that i'll i'll stop writing one story for another um although i i often will be working on a short story and a novel at the same time okay because then if i'm getting if i get kind of lost in the novel or get bogged down i've got something shorter that i can you know actually finish in a week or in a month as opposed to knowing like this it's like with a novel it's sort of a i've got a year to do this right like i know i know how long it's probably it's going to take like even if i draft it in in two months it'll be a year before i'm happy enough to send it out right so it's a so, so it's a distraction if if you were to write yeah, something and uh, just kind and, of not, not so much writer's block but you know what you've been working on it working on it just to kind of change uh, it's, it's like going out for a drive just kind of get in just a different perspective yeah yeah yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, it, I'll change use it to change the gears sometimes uh or uh i find that i draft better in the morning and i edit better at night so if i've got like a drafted short story that i haven't polished mm-hmm. you know maybe i'll write write my that's what i've been doing a lot of uh the last couple of last couple of months is writing in the morning and then uh, editing later in the day, or editing, you know, after supper, and, and uh, like uh, I did find uh, 
speaking of day jobs, that I was always more critical of my writing after a day of dealing with the public. So, <laughs> so it, it, it was a lot easier to edit. Uh, but you know, maybe you're, maybe you're like exhaust, you know, too exhausted to, to be creative, but you, I can definitely find faults in things so you have a bit of a, a schedule that you normally would follow. You say, you know, do your editing a certain time I, of day and yeah, I, I try to keep a schedule. I mean, not everybody has the, that privilege or that luxury. Um, but I, I work best with a routine. Mm-hmm. Um, if my routine gets shaken up, then that I can, I'll, I'll absolutely lose writing time. Uh, last time I, I changed jobs. I don't think I significantly wrote for like six months. Cause I was just getting new to a whole, like getting used to a whole new, you know, whole new thing. And then it's like, okay, well, it looks like I'm, I'm not writing on my laptop. I'm writing in my notebook on the bus now. That's when I'm writing. It's like, okay, right. well, um, this is this is the routine now. So, yeah. What? So, what's it like right now? Like, are you are you actually one of those people stuck at home? Or are you back? Uh, I am. I am still at home. Uh, so I do. Uh, I I maintain my regular work timeline i guess uh i get up the same time that i would have um then i'm not staying up at all hours and and uh you know keeping my wife my wife up uh just find it easier to keep our our previous schedule uh and i write before my before my work time okay yeah, yeah i'm what well, i'm struggling right now like I, i've been uh editing this book since january i guess and, uh, it, it's strange. Like it, in, in my, in my profession, I get busier, which is crazy. I get to work from home, which is good, but I'm having a hard time concentrating and staying on schedule. And, uh, I was, you know, I was going from editing an hour to two hours a day to editing once every three weeks. It, and it's, I, I don't know how it works for you, but for me, like it's killing me. Like I can't, I keep looking at it and I keep wanting to, you know, grab my draft and, and go through it but i just can't i'm just stressed out right now like this whole well, COVID thing is like just knocks me on my ass i'm there with you too i i abandoned a book that was almost ready i i was in revision mode and i decided i wanted to add another point of view character to it would have entailed ten thousand new words you know, like not all that much in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I'd already more or less kind of gone through the manuscript and been like, I need a chapter here and a chapter here and a chapter here. So, you know, I know when they're going to happen and I know where they're happening in the book. So I know roughly what, you know, this viewpoint character should be reacting to. And, and I just couldn't make myself do it. I just, I, I had the, I had like, you know, my, my laptop sitting on the, on the table and I had my other printed manuscript pages and my notes and all this stuff. And I would look at them 
And then I would watch some bad horror movie from the 80s on Prime. Instead. Like, Instead. Yeah, like, oh, it was just like, oh, I'll just put this on. And, you know, I've seen I've seen this, you know, a dozen times and I'll be able to write well. You know, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives is on. And then I just, and then I just watched the movie. And, and, and I did that for, for like weeks when I should have been writing. Oh, uh, and finally, I, I just like, I wanted to do something. And I, I it couldn't be that. And I had this back burner book that was like, when you submit the other book, you, you can, I'll allow you to start writing this one. And it's like, you really like that idea. That idea makes you happy. Why don't you write that book now? And so now I'm almost 30,000 words into that book, just crossed uh, 100 manuscript pages. Not a ton every day. Like I'm, I'm shooting for two or three pages of writing session. If I get more than that, great. Okay. Uh, but it's just sort of a every, every weekday, little bit of writing in the morning. And then uh, if I've been hitting my quota, I take my weekends off and just okay. relax and have the weekend with my wife. And So you're telling me that's what I need to do? So I, the book I'm working on, which is probably the most commercial thing I've ever written, and I'm like, I'm not working on anything till this is done. And that's, that's been my, my mantra the whole time. And, but th- now what's, what's happening is, uh, someone who read one of my earlier books and none of this stuff's been published. I'm just a guy that keeps writing all the time. Um, I wanted to go back to my initial book. Someone on Twitter was asking me about it and well, are you going to do something with that book? And it was a book I wrote like, you know, 20 years ago. And I started looking at it again and I'm like, Oh, and I just had this urge to go back to that piece of crap first novel I wrote and maybe polishing up. I'm like, I could polish this. It wouldn't take long. And then I just started having these grand ideas and I'm like, no focus. And then I just did nothing instead. You know? (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, any other time I would tell you to, I would tell you to finish the book that you're trying to finish. Right. But Mm -hmm. these are kind of unprecedented times, (laughs) you know, like everybody is overtaxed and stressed and, you know, worried about you know a thousand different things right so if it's if you can't make yourself do it right now not worth beating yourself up over and you can always watch the other yeah but i mean you know like (laughs) if if some other like some other story idea pops up and you're like oh it makes you happy write that you know if you're looking at that first book and and maybe that's speaking to you right now and if you're not making any progress on the other book anyway, then yeah. it's worth taking a look at the other one, you know, that first book and, and, you know, it, you're not under a deadline. You don't, if you don't have a, if you, your publisher is not saying where's the book yeah, and, you know, work on what makes you happy, I think. You know, so. And maybe that's, maybe that's some of it too. Like my, my whole thought with, with, uh, with the current one is that, you know, this is commercial. This is something I can, I can strive for to get out there and, and, and publish it, self-publish, whatever I decide to do. But my, my thoughts and like, I'm just going to finish it. I gave myself some deadlines and then we had some, uh, some health issues with one of my kids. So, you know, I kind of pushed things off and I, you know, I, I got unplugged again. And then, um, I'm like, okay, well I'll, I'll find a publisher later. That was sort of my thing. 
And then I had started making approaches to Chizine. And that's when, when I'd reached out to you. And we're, we won't get into that because I don't want to delve on, on negative stuff. But then I'm like, oh, because they had contacted me. And I'm like, oh, hey, maybe this is it. You know, this is my drive. And then I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I can't remember if I reached out to you, you reached out to me or something, but you said no or something or don't or uh, I don't know if you remember that or not. But yeah, I remember it, you reaching out about that. And I got, I got I excited remember, and then I got. I don't remember where you reaching out was in, in regard to uh, that publisher's implosion. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, I don't know. <laughs> that was weird. But, um, I, I, that really dropped me down. And then my, my whole mental state, uh, just was like, fuck, like, yeah, I don't know. just, I, I spent, you know, I spent all of, all of November and December and fair bit of January, just stress eating over the oh. fallout of all that. And like, yeah, and how like you know how hurt a bunch of my friends got you know in the whole debacle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was three quarters of the way done the Graveyard Mind sequel when that news. Oh. And I was making a big push to have the turn the book in before the end of the year. That was that was my big goal was to get the end the, of last year. Yeah. Oh man. And like, I, I had the story and like, I knew how this, that book ended. I was start already starting to like mentally plot out book three. So I could do the foreshadowing in, in this, in the second book. And I was, you know, I was a little behind schedule, but it was doable for me to, to hand the book into them by end of year. And then it was like, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> Shit. so I, now, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I think at that point, like I think that's when I got my resolve back and I, I did some just crazy editing around that time. I'm like, fuck everybody. I'm doing this for me. If it gets released, it, it gets released. If I release it myself, I release it myself. It's a different age now. I think for publishing, Oh yeah. you can kind of do whatever you want. And you know, my wife is like, well, you should strategize. You should go to a publisher first. And I'm like, you know, fuck it. Like, I don't really care. I'm writing this book. This is the book I want to write and I'm proud of it. I am proud of it at the end of the day and it will get released one way or the other. And when I stopped worrying about the publishing side, that's when I was making my biggest strides. And I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think we get bogged down on worrying about where, what's going to happen with it or where it's going to go. And it's like, screw all that. Just write your book and, you know, be happy with what you got and you'll, you'll get it out one way or the other. Like, it's funny it's funny you say that because uh graveyard mind was actually a reaction to some of the rejections that i got on thunder road about it not being commercial enough um because it was set in winnipeg and you know none of the american cultures <laughs> had ever heard of it uh at the time a lot of urban fantasy was first person perspective and female protagonist and oh, yeah, sure. um, and and so I, that was one of you know some of the things that I you know sort of a not even what will I compromise on but it's like okay I've never tried writing first person that could be fun I haven't written uh, a woman POV for an entire book I've done it for one character in a book but not sure. sole character so I'm like that'll be a good 
writing exercise, even if I never sell it. But I got to say, like, I've never had more fun than saying Thor shows up in Winnipeg and he's wrecking the ledge, you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was a, that was a blast. Like I, like, and you know, the Thunder Road books are easy for me, I guess. In yeah. a way. Like I get to throw in my pop culture references. Well, yeah, exactly. And you know, all of like all of the chapter titles are are songs, and so it's like I get yeah. to throw in my own like kind of personal mixtape at readers, and whether they get it or not, that's you know that's beside the point. That's it's for me, right? It's just yeah, exactly. It's, it is a blast. I think once you let go of all that stuff and just do it for you, I think that's when I don't know when, when the magic comes out. And that's one of the reasons I decided to kind of give up on revisions on another project and write this other big weird book that I've been. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to see it on the camera. I bought this this hand tooled uh, Cthulhu head. Uh, Where'd you find that? I, I got it at FanQuest. There was a guy doing custom notebooks, and I saw this, and I'd, I had a pretty good con, and so I picked it up. and And so all my world building notes are in there. Nice. And uh, and I because I, I'm like, okay, you've got other stuff you need to do, but I allowed myself when I thought of something for the world, I'm like. Don't type it out. Put it in this notebook. And so I would like I like index the notebook. So I'm like anything that was like culture, I would like put with a certain letter, and then I would like I have a, like a table of contents in there. This is like the nerdiest I've ever got with like pre-planning a book. Um, but I, I that was sort of my outlet for when I was working on a project and had other ideas. I tried to funnel them into that project that I wanted to write next but I didn't let myself write any of the prose. I could only do world building. I could only do like character sketches or coming up with monsters, like nothing. I like do not write any words of this book. You're not allowed to write any words of this book. Yeah. Yep. That's for later. And, and so now, now it's just, I get to do, I get to do the fun part. I get to write the words. I've got all the, I've got so much of the, so much of the world built. Uh, in a way that I've never really done. I, I almost always kind of fly by the seat of my pants, but yeah. Um, but this one, uh, you know, I got to got to do some of that fun stuff. And so is that, is that going to make it easier now? Because you get everything there. You don't have to go back and go, ah, shit. How would this work? You don't have to worry about that. It, it's already there. Yeah, it's it's. I'm finding it. I found it challenging when I got started uh, because I had all of it in my like so much of it in my head that I, w I didn't think I was organically getting information into the first chapter. And then that's totally overthinking things and, yeah. and you know, that can always be fixed later and that kind of stuff. Uh, I've definitely hit the flow uh, of it now that I've been kind of writing at it every day. Um, but it was, it was a challenge knowing how much I wanted to say about the world when I was just trying to introduce you to your point of view character in that first chapter, right? So yeah, that, that's, that, that's the tough bit. Um, I don't know if you listen to uh super fault science with the uh, show me check. Uh, yeah. he's got, he was, he was talking about world building and, um, and how it's too easy to just explain the world and just explain the world and explain the world. All of a sudden it's like, well, where's the story? Like, it's just, it's all about explaining. I, I thought it was, it was a good point, especially the higher, fantasy you get or the higher involved your world is to just explain the world and i think it's really good to do it in your notes and just 
Oh, yeah. Okay, I've got all everything in my notes, and if I need to refer back to it, I can. But to have it be about the characters and the story they're going through, that's that's always my challenge. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, but this world does this, or this world does that. And it's like, but does it matter to the story? No, no, but but it's cool. It's like, no, don't write for cool, write for story. Well, it's, I mean, whatever whatever kind of subgenre of fantasy you're writing, and your readers are going to have a different tolerance for that kind of thing too, right? Like sure. If, if you're aiming for the wheel of time crowd, they're gonna they won't mind long digression, longer digressions <laughs> in history, right? Like, yeah, it's true. Uh, you, you'll have more leeway with that kind of stuff in a in an epic fantasy, but yeah, you still still has to be organic and still has to serve everything, right? Like, there's definitely, I'm sure there's things that I'm going to end up cutting out of there, or or, or have to flesh out, and um, but yeah, it was yeah, it was. It was a, it was an interesting challenge to have so much of it in my head. And what do I say now? Where right. where do I choose to start the story, knowing how much of this world I've already built? Yeah, where do you pivot from? Um, how tempting is it to write something and then go, "Oh, this would be such a good game." <laughs> oh, it's always there, always there. Um, I have roughed out a loose uh, loose set of rules for a graveyard mind role-playing game. Uh, so, so this, so this is after writing it. So you weren't after writing the book. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was, I roughed out the rules, but I didn't want to do any more than have a rough idea of, of rule stuff because it was only one book. Yeah. And I didn't want, designing a game to drive where my fiction went. I wanted my uh, fiction to be like, okay, this is the world. And, and so that logically the game has to do this, um, to be of that world. Um, that was, that was something, it just felt like there's concepts that I had introduced in the first, in the first book, uh, for graveyard mind that I wanted to elaborate on. And if I did it, as a part of a game setting, it, it wouldn't feel right when I translated it into the fiction. I don't, I don't know why it just, it didn't feel no, like, I, it I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, um I, yeah. I ended the thunder road trilogy and maybe this is a spoiler. I don't know, but I ended it in such a way that the next logical, the only logical thing for me after that, after ending that series was that it became a role playing game. Yeah, and, and like that, that was, I'm like the the only the only thing I can do after this is make it a role playing game, and I and I did that on purpose. Yeah, uh, was it made it so that it it could it had a reason to be a role playing. But then you don't have to write another trilogy. You can just let it be and just you know let it live on that way. Um, I'm still writing stories set in the world. I'll probably I don't know that I'll ever stop writing Thunder Road short stories, even though I know. I know what I think the last one will be. If I ever decide to get tired of it, I know what the very last Thunder Road short story will be, and then I will write that story. Um, but for now, I'm enjoying like dipping my toes back in, whether I ever do another book or not, or another trilogy. I don't know. Um, Here's a question. It's, when you write your books, if, if you had, like when you're saying a trio, like a, a trilogy, Normally, that would mean, uh, say, for example, maybe this is totally off base, 
But say you say there's a show on TV, okay? So there's in each, every time you watch the show, it's always about a different story, but it's always with the same characters in the same place. Now, the books that you write, do you write the books as a continuation or totally separate? Totally separate ideas, totally separate area. It's not like you've you've reused the same location. Have, do you do that, or do you just kind of um, when you make up your story, it's always in a different place. It's always in a different planet or different you know, whatever different area that, you, that you're in. Oh, uh, uh, sometimes, it, well, if it, with a short story, it'll depend on how close I am to deadline. Uh, that that'll that'll uh, that'll drive a lot of things, which is why I write a lot of Thunder Road short stories because I don't have to think about the world. Okay. The world is there, even if I'm not using my the the novel protagonist. I know what the magic is like. I know what the monsters are. I'm very familiar with Norse mythology. And so it, it's easy for me if I don't have a long turnaround time to just go, boom, here's a Thunder Road st- short story. Do, do you remember watching, great- sorry, do, do you remember watching the Flintstones? Okay. And every time that, yeah. that, that he'd be driving his car and the background would always, you know, it would be different for a bit and then it would be the same thing over and over and over and over again. So that the, the people that are writing it don't have to worry about that anymore. They just, they know what it is yeah. that they have that in the background. That's, that's a no brainer. We're not going to worry about that. We're going to move on to other, other things like saying yeah. the story. And it's, I mean, it's one of the reasons I said a lot of stories in Winnipeg because I don't have to go far to do my research. Right. Uh, and, and just, if I need something like weird and esoteric that I don't know, I can find it here. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot harder when I, I, I set the third Thunder Road book in Edmonton. I had to spend a lot of time in Edmonton to feel satisfied that I got it right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it, I have a sword and sorcery world that I write in. And in that world, I have a city that a lot of stories take place in. Um, a lot of times I will, I will, I have kind of three or four worlds that I commonly, three or four settings that I commonly write short stories in. Every now and again, something doesn't fit. Right. And it just kind of becomes its own thing. And sometimes that thing that doesn't fit ends up sparking its own, uh, you know, it, its own little offshoot. Um, right. I, I wrote a I wrote a, a story about a magic Mennonite going home for Christmas with his estranged family, and uh, and now that has become this cycle of short stories that I want to write. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's magic just, Mennonite Christmas one off. So, like you say, when you write your books, there's there's some aspects of locations that you that you use more than once. I guess that and and for the readers too, if they're used to your books, and it's it's like a video game with an extra map on it type of thing. You, you get to, you know, the characters already and you like a series, I guess you would say, but yeah. you don't normally, yeah, like, you don't do series. You, you do your, your books, but they're not necessarily in a, in a certain, what do you want to call it? Events that kind of flow into each it's other. It's not the 27th book in the world of it's like Xanth or, um, right. or, or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, like the well, the Thunder Road books happen in sequence, and but each is mostly contained. Uh, by the time you get to the third one, you 
pretty much need to have read the first two, but you could you could start with the second book on its own and it sort of explains kind of hits the ground running. But um, Graveyard Mind was imagined that was imagined to be more like a mystery series. In my head, it was going to be a lot more standalone situations with the same cast of characters and I was going to grow the cast of characters. So I was kind of envisioning it more, uh, definitely more like, uh, like either Kelly Armstrong's women of the other world or, um, Patricia Briggs, um, uh, Mercedes uh, Thompson books, like just dealing with, you know, the setting, the world, uh, the characters, but, a standalone story for each as opposed to a larger arc. And there, you know, there was going to be a, a slow arc of things that were happening over the grand span of the series. But I sort of saw it as a, you could probably pick up any of the first five books in any sequence and be fine. That was how yeah. I envisioned that when I, when I sat down to write it. Um, but I, I, I like the idea of little, little Easter eggs, you know, not necessarily chronologically, uh, saying when it happens, but a reader inferring it's like, oh, Ted is pissed off at Loki in this story, so it probably happens here. <laughs> or, okay, the 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 roof has been blown off of Union Station, so this story has to happen after Tombstone Blues, or like like that kind of stuff. As as the setting has changed in the books, yeah. I, I'll, I'll write little elements uh, of a short story, uh, you know, or um, little things for like for me that maybe readers don't care about, but I do. And it's sort of like, oh, whatever happened to that troll that he fought in book one? And now it's like he didn't care anything about it after he finished fighting it. And now it's somebody's job to go and clean it up. And so right. I wrote a story about the person who had to go and deal with the troll and it's just kind of that's been kind of fun to like not time stamp these stories but put those little little clues in for readers about where it happens in the, in the chronology cool nice. very cool. it's like so, a spin-off of your own story <laughs> in, in a way it's almost like i'm auditioning new characters it's like i feel like my protagonist ted callan i feel like I feel like I, I gave him the ending he deserved, uh, and and so it's, it's hard for me to go back and write a novel for him after trying so hard to end end his story well. Um, so a lot of the Thunder Road short stories almost feel like I'm auditioning somebody to like maybe you could have a, you know, if there's going to be another Thunder Road book, maybe it'll be yours, you know? And yeah. Maybe yours, you're the trilogy. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you're the new trilogy guy. Uh, well, so far, so far, none of, a couple of them have got more than one story, but nobody, nobody has, has won a book yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I actually never thought of doing it that way. Um, so when you're, when you're planning a game, when mm -hmm. you're writing a game, um, What's your world building like? If you're using Marvel superheroes as a as a as a setting, are you ever? Did you ever use a system to kind of create your own place? It doesn't have any Marvel characters in it. It's just its own thing. Or like, what's your what's your planning there? Like, because it's it's writing in a different style. But I'm curious about your approach on that. Uh, well, for 
for the current game because I decided to set it in the world of the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. All of those movies have happened up until Civil War. Okay. And so post that, maybe it'll diverge if the campaign goes on long enough. Uh, I might have to have all the characters flip a coin to see if they survive the snap, you know, like, sure. Uh, um, we'll, we'll see. Um, but I'm trying not to tie them too deeply into the movies because that, you know, it's almost like if, if you're running a game set in Westeros from, for game of Thrones, like, what are you doing? Because you're not like, you're not ned stark you're not Jon snow like you're not these characters that you having read the books and watched the show have seen to be important right right so like unless you're going to totally diverge from the actual material the game's based on i find those games a lot harder for me um to play i think this is what like if i'm running star wars i like i like playing like a scum and villainy kind of game sure yeah or your smugglers or whatever and you're kind of away from the rebellion or you're away from the jedi or you're like because otherwise like i don't want to have to explain what luke skywalker is doing every day yeah i think that's the tough part like that's the tough part when i started game i actually started with marvel i didn't actually play D D till i was in my 20s but the the first game i played was i i picked up secret wars from um cole's Oh yeah, and I'm like, what's this? It's a game, but I didn't have the rules, so that was so we played it without the rules, and kind of you know, kind of kit bashed it, kind of yeah. figured it out, and then later I'm like, oh, there's rules for this. So the first bunch of games I played were always okay. Well, it's this module, it's the Fantastic Four one, or it's the Avengers one, or the X Men one. Like I had all those, and it was fun, but at at a certain time because I'm a storyteller at heart, I'm like, this isn't cutting the mustard for me. And then I started playing within the Marvel universe, but then I'm like, it it, is exactly like you're saying, like if you're starting off the fantastic four adventure and then you're diverging off, like there's always a status quo in the comic books where everything always reverts back to the way it was. Ben Grimm, you know, might, might become human again, but then he goes back to his Rocky form. So I started kind of, going off on my own and then building my own my own comic universe sort of thing so i find like i kind of want to go back to marvel superheroes and play because it's so fucking fun but at the same time i think just from a writer's standpoint it's like i can't i can't do pre-gen anymore like i gotta you know go in my own world well my my original high school marvel group and i didn't realize this at the time until i started going to conventions we see we were odd from all the other Marvel players that I that I encountered in that we always made our own characters. And we would set we would play in the Marvel universe, but we always made up our own characters. So um, other people weren't doing that? They were just when I when I first went to PrairieCon and talked to people who played Marvel, they they played as Spider-Man, they played as the X-Men, they played as the Fantastic Four. The one and only time okay. I went to Gen Con. People were like, wait, you actually like make your own characters? And they're like, why would you make up your own character when you could when you could be Wolverine? And I'm like, well, my Wolverine is called the Tasmanian Devil and he's from Australia, so fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's like he's basically Wolverine. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's basically Australian. Wolverine. 
but I'm free to go where I want with it. Exactly. Right. And, and, and it just seemed, and I, I've met other players since who did make up their own characters, but the, the first few groups of people that I found that played Marvel other high school group were all about, no, we're playing Marvel superheroes. We want to play the Marvel superheroes. And I was like, I've got a hundred superheroes I've made up that I want to stat out. And, yeah. you know, sure. I'll, I'm happy having them fight the rhino or I'm happy having them oh, fight sure. that my, my GM made up, but I want to make up my own character. I remember at one point I had, uh, I was creating so many characters and I had some, we actually, it was pretty good. We had a lot of players and stuff, uh, back in New Brunswick where I'm from that. I actually made my own Marvel, um, official Marvel handbook with all my characters. I draw the characters and, you know, frame it out exactly the same way. It was, it was fun. And I kind of want to go back to that world at some point just like, cause that's, that's the world I, I ran for 10 years and we ran it through, uh, Marvel superheroes to mutants and mastermind one and then two, and then we capped it off. And uh, the, funny, the funny thing is the absolute last game we played in that 10-year campaign, my, I invited my future wife. She played. She'd never heard of gaming before. She came in on the absolute last game. I brought back all the uh, NPCs, former players that became NPCs. And it was this big, giant, ginormous battle. Thor was there and Hercules was there. And it was this big in winnipeg because it was took place in winnipeg <laughs> and we played that session i had 10 players around the table because <laughs> i brought all the old players back too it was this big grand thing it was the culmination of 10 years of gaming in one campaign and then i think i was dating my wife for like a week or two weeks at the time and then i capped the adventure off it goes okay guys we're done that's 10 years i'm, I'm done and my wife is like this is my first game and it's your last one. Like, what are you doing? Gee, what's, what's going on? Show me the cake. She was take so mad. <laughs> I thought it was going to break us up, but no, no, we got married after that. But, but, uh, now my, my wife is my constant gaming person. I always try to run something around her. And, uh, it, it's interesting, predominantly more female players now than, than before which I really like that dynamic, that dynamic. It's uh, from its storytelling perspective, I feel I'm getting more out of running a game and it's helping me write better because I could never write a woman because, you know, I'm just a typical guy. So I really like running games with women in it because it's like, Oh, a guy would have done this, but a woman has a different perspective. So I'm, it, it, it's kind of fun. And, I, I I try to limit how many guys are in my groups now. <laughs> it's kind of kind of bizarre, but like, like, what do you find? Like, are you, are you predominantly? Uh, I predominantly play with people that I've been playing with for twenty years or more. Okay, and so at the at the time, it's, and I'm, I'm absolutely not saying that women were gaming then because I know they were. Uh, they just I didn't know any who were gaming in Morton uh, mm. when I was growing yeah. playing. I mean, we tried, we tried introducing a few uh, to our group and, you know, we were all asshole teenagers and it didn't work out well. Yeah. But, yep. Um, yeah. It's just, uh, I am most comfortable playing with people I've already played with, I gotcha. guess is the, is the thing. And, and 
it's sort of after, and I, it took me a, like a long time of going to conventions and having bad experiences playing with strangers to realize how much I like gaming with my friends more than just gaming for the sake of gaming. Yeah. I love re- I like I love reading the books. I love the hobby as a whole, but I, I do have a hard time gaming with strangers. Um, but I, I had a I had actually had a lot of fun. I ran a Star Wars one shot over Christmas uh, for a writer friend of mine who was in from out of town, and she was staying with a, another writer I know here in Winnipeg. And so it was uh, it was two women that I've never gamed with before, but we were we were good friends. So that was okay. You know, it was a little easier. Um, uh, and I, they, both of them have done computer gaming, but not as much tabletop. Okay. Uh, and then uh, uh, one of the one of the women uh, her, at the last second, her husband was like, "This looks like fun. Can I play?" And so I had kind of like a day to make up an extra character for him <laughs> and work him into the adventure. And, uh, and it was just it was it was a riot to have like I had a couple of people that I regularly gamed with who were just huge Star Wars nerds, yeah. and then two people who liked Star Wars but hadn't done a lot of gaming, and one person was just like I want to see what this is about, and we had a really good game. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, like it's it's great to see uh, on more and more of the live plays that I have been following like. Uh, uh, more women playing, like visibly playing, like yeah, it's it's great, and like all the all the you know curmudgeons who are just like, oh, women didn't play in my day, and, and you know, like all these people who are like, yeah, I did, and here I am playing right now. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's, it's kinda, great, kind of nice to see. Um, but I I feel like if I was going to start a new regular group, I would definitely. I would definitely be stri- striving for more parody than yes. I have, but it's just sort of a beer and pretzels. These are the people that I <laughs> read yeah. up and hang out with. Uh, most of most of the women who were my friends outside of outside of you know when I got into conventions and and writing circles, they just weren't interested. You know, like occasionally we would try to run them through a game and just so yeah, that was fun. Fun way to spend evening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. To become a lifestyle, and I'm like, (laughs) like, you don't understand. Gaming is so important. Month on books. (laughs) If you don't start game, I have nowhere else to put my miniatures. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you didn't have that type of gaming, and um, you actually had to go with PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, PC, you know, pick one. Uh, which one would you go with if you, you know, unless you have one already, uh, which one do you think you'd, you'd more gravitate towards? I, well, I would probably gravitate more to, towards PC gaming just because I already have a computer and wouldn't need to get another system for it. Uh, I do have a Wii, which is not like... I don't know if you really want to call that... I, it's early, yeah. No, I have. Well, I, I have a, I have a Wii, and I enjoy Wii Sports and yeah. and Mario Kart. And uh, other than that, I have not owned a dedicated system since Intellivision. Wow! Uh, so that's going to date me a little bit. Oh, that's even uh, I, I, I used to, uh, I used to 
like rent uh, Nintendo for birthday party sleepover kind of things. And I would try to finish Castlevania or like finish uh, Zelda two over, uh, over the span of a weekend, like that kind of, cause that was the only time I was all the time I had. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like not having those earlier console systems, just, I, I just, honestly, I feel like, video games evolved beyond me. Right. I went to the arcade one day and I put in a, put in a buck to play mortal Kombat, And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and your dollar was gone. Please put in another coin. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I, uh, a buddy invited me over to play, uh, to play halo, uh, for, for one of his, it wasn't even like a big land party. It was just like a few, few people were over and, and we were just taking turns and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. My wife was there and she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And we like, <laughs> we're spinning around in circles. We ran out of ammo and then we beat each other to death with our gun butts. Like, <laughs> we're just like, you're not made for these times. <laughs> but he's looking at you. What are you doing? Staring at the sky? You're dancing around in one spot. You're shooting in the air. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I have a copy of Dragon Age that a friend gave me that maybe would be a good, uh, would be a good pandemic game to start. Yes, uh, I feel like that would probably probably eliminate all of my writing programs. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's my wife's favorite game, Dragon Age. It's it is in terms of uh, the closest thing to tabletop role playing. That's probably as close as you're going to get, I think. But uh, I always say for people that play video games, like I, I do like video games, and we do play a lot. My wife's actually playing right now upstairs. Um. But like, there's nothing. It's not the same as the thrill of sitting around a table, with a bunch of your friends, rolling the dice. You got a really good GM running the game. You know, who's really descriptive and you know puts the lights down low. Is the background music playing? Like, like nothing beats that. Like for me, that's and I'm always trying to up my game as a as a game master. Like, what what sort of things do you use to try to to make the atmosphere a little bit? better or like what, what sort of tricks do you use uh you know i uh depends it depends on the group um because i got a, i've got a some groups who just don't want music in the background i've got some who've liked it um for the longest time uh i did theater of the mind not miniatures um i kind of like them now but I never really did a lot of terrain. It was always, I just, tr I tried to tell a good story and tried to give the players reign to, to make the world a little bit their own too. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't come up with a campaign in terms of here's how I see everything going up to 20th level. If I'm playing D and D like I, I have maybe an idea of like, oh, this could be an interesting end boss or, or maybe I want to deal with like, I want to do a political style campaign. Like it's, it's more kind of more high concept, but not planned out who all my villains are. Sure. And I just throw a bunch of stuff at them in the opening four or five sessions and see what they're biting on. Um, a, a friend of mine had found uh a thing, and I think it originally came from Seventh C, called the Other Hundred Points. Okay, so it's like sort of like you had a hundred points to buy your character with, and then they they gave you a hundred points 
to spend in terms of the types of stories you wanted, whether it was okay. espionage, military, uh, you know, romance, like whatever you wanted as a player to get out of it. And then so that your game master can tally all that up from the players and be like, nobody wants war stories or nobody wants romance or nobody wants mysteries. And then can sort of adjust how they're going to build their scenarios out of that. So I've started using that. That's kind of cool. Kind of a ballpark. So if like, if I'm, I, I did one for my Marvel game and you know, like 50% of the points were spent on slugfest, you know, yeah. like the, the players wanted combat. And so that means like at least every other session I have to have combat. Right. So it's, it's good. That gives me a, gives me a ballpark. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, I, I found that kind of a, that kind of a handy tool. Um, it's, it's weird. Like I'm probably playing more now than I was before the pandemic, but I'm missing that face-to-face gaming because we're all basically using roll 20. Um, oh, you are using roll 20. That's what, uh, that's what we're using with, uh, with Dylan. Uh, I, I like it, uh, as a tabletop. It, it, in in a couple of the games, we would have one or two people skyping in from another city, and some of us around the table. And so I like everybody being on an equal footing on roll twenty a lot better than having one or two people being only being at the table virtually. Okay. Uh, but definitely, my my preference is everybody around the same table. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I'm getting used to the roll twenty. Um, we were the last game I ran. We ran um, uh, a Waterdeep campaign, which I just my wife's like, you don't have time to plan something. You really want to run a game? Just use, just run an adventure. And I didn't really want to, and so I, I ran it, and it was actually kind of fun. And I think D and D is actually doing some really good stuff now. Uh, a lot of the modules or like the games they have, you know, gets your characters from you know level one one to five or whatever. And I've always been against playing that sort of stuff, but I actually had a lot of fun. The Waterdeep one was like, was, was phenomenal. It was so well put together. It was really a choose your own adventure. Like do this, you had uh, four different villains. So you pick the one you want that affects how the game's going to run. It was just really well done. I'm like, wow. Like, is that what the pre-gen adventures are like nowadays? Cause I, I feel like they've gotten better even within the span of fifth edition, like I played uh, princes of the apocalypse okay. one of the earlier ones. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like it. Uh, but I feel like with around storm Kings thunder and, and I'm only going based on reading them. I haven't, I haven't run any of the modules. I'm playing in a curse of Strahd. Uh, so I have a kind of a player side uh, view of that one. Um, but I feel with like storm Kings thunder and curse of Strahd and tomb of annihilation and, and then Waterdeep, uh, they're trying to make them feel a little more organic. Yeah. Um, but I, I never ran modules as a as a DM. I've been I've been buying the the current ones to read, and I uh, I poach encounters from them. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, in a lot of cases, like that's the only kind of world building you're getting these days. Yeah. You know, like, there's not a lot of kind of core rules books coming out for fifth edition so if you want new magic items if you want new monsters they're yeah 
the module You'll buy the adventure yeah yeah i've been buying those for 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 that and, and it's, it's just kind of neat to see some of the some of the encounters that come up that will spark something and be like oh okay yeah, i can do this and do this and we'll take this thing from here and that thing from here and this yep. thing made up and that's how that's how i like to I think the only module I've ever run is Isla Dread, and I run Isla Dread in every single campaign that I, that I run. Uh, eventually, they will either get shipwrecked or get sent there, or <laughs> that's a good go-to. So I love it. The uh, the current the, so the campaign that I'm running for uh, for Dylan and, and and Tina is uh, it's actually based off the book that I'm editing, and it's like months down the road sort of thing, and. I, I took a, a tip that my a buddy of mine who's been in most of my games, he said the best game that he ever ran as a GM was running it in his hometown. Now, my hometown's not Winnipeg, and I run a fair amount of games from here. But I decided, so he's from Reston, Manitoba. And he ran a game in Reston, Manitoba. And I'm like, this is the silliest thing. But he had so much fun because he knew everything. Uh, you know, he knew where the corner store was. Um, and I'm like, it just sounds so crazy. So the current game I'm running is based out of Shady Act, New Brunswick, which is where Todd and I are from. And I'm having so much freaking fun. I'm putting on the NPCs come in and I'm putting on the accent from back there. And it's just like, like fitting like a glove and I'm having so much fun. And because it's in a small town setting, you can kind of get away with more. It's a modern campaign in modern. There's it, it's a little tougher because you always have to worry about, Oh, well they just pulled out a gun while well, you're going to get arrested for having, you know, and, but because it's in, sh- in Shidiac of all places, I, I feel like I can get away with more. And it almost feels like a fantasy setting in, in that. And the current just, just having a, or the Shidiac we left. Back in eighties, the shitty act we left. Okay, it's not the shitty act totally now because apparently it is now. We never had a yeah, McDonald's or but, a Tim Hortons or anything back in that day. Yeah, we had nothing. Yeah, well, that's that's like the yeah the uh, the Morton that I grew up in is not the. Uh, oh God, yeah, that's that's so. drastically different too. I'm sure, but it was it, it was kind of fun, and I'm like, it's not gonna. How is it going to be fun to run a modern campaign and in shitty act of all places? And I'm having so much fun, and, I, and I'm kind of seeing the spark in, in, in Dylan's eyes. It's like, okay, you know, this is working. This is really, really working. And um, it's it's fine. I, I had a bad experience the only time I ever ran a game set in Morton, but it was that was my own fault for choosing Werewolf the Apocalypse because it just oh. became like a high school grudge match catharsis, and like <laughs> my, my my group of my group of uh, of Morden uh, werewolves were just like murdering their way through the town. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> but uh, you've played in modern before, right? I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, I played a little bit of D20 modern. I didn't want to, you know, I'm enjoying fifth edition D&D so much. And I didn't think I would that I didn't really want to go back to a third edition thing, which is what modern is. And now that, you know, we, we've played two sessions and I'm like, damn it, this is fun. I forgot how much fun modern was. It's, it's really well put together. And I was always trying to shoehorn modern into like a fifth edition sort of style. And like, you know what? No, I don't think I need to. There's everything in there and I can even do a little supers in there. If I want, there's enough rules for supers 
a lot of those modules. So um, I know Dylan doesn't listen to this, so I'll spoil a little bit, but uh, there are some super things that are going to start happening in there. And uh, once I blow the roof off of, uh, you know, in the next session, but I don't know, it's like, what's your opinion on modern? Did you, do you like it? I didn't play a lot of it. Um, I was going to run an urban arcana game at one point. Um, and then I, I was, it sort of felt like, Oh, it's like if I'm running D and D in the modern day. I may as I don't know. I just run D and D. Like there's other, like it just felt like, you know, there's other modern games. Right. If, uh, if I'm looking for that sort of thing. Um, but ultimately most of my groups were, were pretty D and D centric. And so at the time of third edition, I ran a third, I DM'd a, a game up to Epic level and I played in a third edition game up to Epic level. And so once those campaigns kind of wound down and like fourth edition was on the horizon, I was kind of, I was kind of so ready to be done with that rule set. Yeah. Uh, and then when fourth edition, I didn't find particularly satisfying for very long. Um, and so I, I went back to basic D and D like first edition or second edition, like, like red box, uh, oh, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the Beck me basic expert companion master immortal like that. That was, I, when that was what I started with, I preferred it to AD and D. I preferred it to second edition. Uh, I liked third edition enough to, uh, to transfer an ongoing campaign from basic to the third edition and then, and then play it out to the end and, uh, had a lot of fun playing it. And, but, it was like 10 years and two campaigns basically uh, with only that rule set. And so I was, I was good and done. And, and I, so I kind of was happy to go back to the simplicity of basic and then uh, fifth edition hit. And it kind of felt like that sweet spot for me, of, yeah. you know, much fewer rules like the, like the old basic days, but still having enough complexity that I could do some interesting stuff and, and if I wanted to be a dwarf, I could be more than just dwarf. Yeah, I, I think the rules too, like from a GM's perspective, I think with fifth edition, like I, I ran, um, I ran a five year or five year campaign. No, well, whenever it came out, like I ran a campaign right, right out of the gate with it and ran it. I we just stopped like last year, I think. And um, what I found as a GM, you had a lot more freedom. You weren't like, oh, okay, well, you can't do that because the rules contradict what you're, you know, going to try to do. Because third edition was so rules heavy. Um, but yeah, there's freedom. Is like, you know, if if your player plays really well, you know, well, you have advantage. Roll two, you know, two d twenty and uh, take the uh, best result. Genius, genius. Oh, super genius. And I'm I'm using it in modern. <laughs> like, I want to use it in modern. It's like you know what Dylan's like, he's a really damn good player. Like he gets right into character and it's like, looks freaking brilliant. Like I'm going to give you a plus two. Like that doesn't seem like enough, you know? Like, so the ability to roll that second dice, I'm, I'm going to start incorporating that into the next session. Cause there's just so many things I'd like in there that as a GM, it's just much more freeing. Yeah. I, I, I found that fifth edition D and D hit my sweet spot as a player and as a, as a GM. Um, better than any 
like the the Venn diagram overlap of me as a player and me as a GM. Yeah, uh, fifth edition is is more firmly in the middle of that diagram than than any other edition has has managed to pull off. So I I really like a lot of what they've done. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to sixth edition. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm 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 super content. I like I like the quality of the product that they're putting out. Um, it hasn't been this solid. Article, uh, somewhere I can't remember if it was on on N World or where, and they were they were positing that there just there wasn't going to be another edition. There was just going to be mild tweaks because of the explosion of fifth edition and how much more popular D and D is now than any time before and with the streamers and and yeah. everything else more people have an idea of what D is and so it'll be harder to change that with a hard rules reset yeah and i think too the, their approach to technology has been all i'm not a fan of D next um too much but you can use it on roll 20 you can use it on anything um yeah the D next thing had I known they were doing it and I hadn't bought all the books because with D&D next, you have to buy all the books again digitally in order to, you know, fully use it. And uh, that was a, a misstep. If you ask me, like, do you have D&D next? Like, did you buy it or no? No. Um, the, I think the, the game master who's running curse of Strahd for us bought it through roll 20 so that he would have, have access to you know, oh, okay. all the apps and the dynamic lighting and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I realized uh, as my Kickstarter obsession was getting out of hand that I have to want the physical book yeah. because otherwise I have a PDF library that I never, I never open. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. If I, if I, if, uh, and I, I liked um, I like Evil Hat uh, games for that because if you buy the physical book, you get the you get yeah, the PDF as well, and that can be nice if you just want a reference or if you wanted like you know, like you know print off some of the charts or whatever. Easier to just do that from the PDF than photocopying. But uh, I hate making characters on a PDF. Hate it. Yeah, I That's like being able, I like being able to flip back and forth. Uh, between the various sections, um, yeah, it's. So I, I, I don't know. I would just always have to like manually input things. And if I'm playing in a digital game, and okay, well, that's the way it's going to be because I like my physical books. So um, the one thing that I, I never thought I would do, um, because we're using Roll Twenty and because it's digital, I, I do like the ability of like grab a map off Pinterest and right. pop it in there. Like I, I do like that. It's I, I do like drawing maps on a, you know, on the table. It's kind of fun, you know, the markers and you're getting the stains on your fingers, you know, like all that stuff is kind of fun, but I, I'm kind of enjoying the roll 20 aspect. But one thing I started doing, which I hadn't done before, uh, are you familiar with Scrivener? Yes. Uh, I don't use it, but, uh, number of my my writing friends do yeah that's i'm writing this book with scrivener but i'm using this for my campaign scrivener has um you can put in all your maps and you can have them all sectioned off and you can have write-ups of certain parts of your you know your D D universe that you're building uh you can have all the npc characters 
You can have multiple tiles open so you can, you know, look at the map, but also read the, the, the little preamble that you might have written to a, you know, particular chapter of your game. And it using Scrivener for that, I'm like, this is like designed for this. Like it's totally designed for it. Because what I was finding is my notes, I would have like all these notes all over the table and like, uh, okay, we're referencing the fight that happened two years ago. And then you're trying to find it with the, with the, with Scrivener, I was actually able to find stuff very, very easily. And I'm starting to do my adventures, not on paper, but I'm actually typing them out because I do type a lot faster. Um, and using a digital way to, to play it like, do you write everything out by hand for game planning or are you using um, typing it out? I, I mostly type it out. Uh, I might make, you know, if I, I have an idea for something, I'll, I might write it down in my notebook until I, uh, until I uh, have a chance to, to transcribe it. Uh, if anybody ever actually cares to, to like pick up my writing archive, it's going to be a weird like mix of, of like actual writing and like, you know, gave me notes places that I can, places that I can attack my players with mimics, you know, like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. there's going to be all this, like, Oh, this would be a, this would be a, this would be a fun way to screw over my group <laughs> with mimics or what, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I mostly just type it out. Um, I have, I've been doing uh, for the Marvel game, uh i've been doing sort of an adventure outline just in terms of that because they've, they've all got superpowers and like three of the five players essentially can teleport or have teleport and so they can go anywhere and that's kind of a pain in the pain in my ass oh, yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> um so i have to just have i have sort of what i think the session will be and then i keep like a list of plot points for each character of how I can fuck them over with their personal lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> in case they keep that list too. Book. And then, uh, and then I've, I've got uh, just sort of notes about kind of future big bads or future, like things yeah. that could be happening in the older plot. Um, but mostly I just kind of do it point form unless there's, I've got, I, I mean, I, I've, run games for a while for you know almost as long as i've been gaming so i i don't write monologues for what my npcs will say but if there's a a specific way i want them to say one thing i will write that down so i don't forget it yeah. uh, that kind of helps crystallize it in my brain look out um, it comes uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but it, and for Marvel, I, I've actually found it useful because it's set in the movie universe. I've been casting all of the NPCs, and I got the players to cast their characters. Oh, nice! Um, so then, if I'm like, "Oh, this guy," I cast him as uh, you know, as as Paul Giamatti. I, I I look at Paul Giamatti, and I know I don't have to write notes about how to play that guy. I know yeah. what that you know, like I know what that guy is going to be about. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so that's been kind of, that's been kind of fun. Uh, I might actually carry that over into other games, even if they're not sort of modern, just to kind oh, of, yeah. Oh, it doesn't matter. You can still use. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, been, nothing, that's, nothing like a Bronx, uh, Bronx accent in Elven lands. Yeah. 
I don't ha- I don't do a lot of accents because um, it's it's not great. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> I'm I'm not Matt Mercer in that regard at at all. So, um, but yeah, Mar- Marble has had made me change my prep uh, yeah. from D and D. It's a vastly different style of prep i need to do it's like it needs to be a lot more freeform a lot more open i need to be a lot more willing to improvise i'm always willing to improvise in D, but i don't feel like i need to have a bunch of things potentially to throw at the characters because it's yeah. you're a lot more in control of the world especially at those lower levels and by the time the characters get to teleport you've been with them for a while you're a lot you you kind of know where where they might be going and there's a lot more inherent dangers of you know them taking damage from screwing it up if they don't if they're just like uh i'm gonna go to this place i've only heard about oh you just teleported into the wall Mm -hmm. (laughs) enjoy your force damage chump yep all right well i can see uh bro's getting a little tired there (laughs) <laughs> I think we're, we're gonna we're gonna cap it off here. This is a lot of fun. I probably right. could have kept going for another couple hours, but um, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me online at chadwickginther.com uh, or at chadwickginther on Twitter. That's uh, Twitter is where I am most likely hanging out online. But uh, I have an author uh, Facebook page. It's just chadwickginther author. Um, don't do a lot of book promo on Instagram, but I'm, I'm there too. Uh, pretty, all my, all my socials are more or less connected up to my, to my website. So perfect. Easy to find. Go to website first. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. That was a lot of fun. We might have to do it again. Would love to. Corey wanted to be here tonight. I'm like, talk, uh, talk music. I'm happy to talk music too. So, Oh, (laughs) You should listen. You should listen to our uh, to our CD. Right? Yeah, you're in a band, aren't you? Uh, well, we were actually, but uh, not currently. I got two kids. I the, the kids made me drop the music for a little bit. That's fair. Um, and I'm just running games. <laughs> That's about it. Writing writing books, running games. Um, I dropped the band, and the, my wife's my wife said you can only work one project at a time. Band's done. Go back to your book. I'm like, okay, you're right. <laughs> so I'm not allowed to do any more band stuff until the book's done. That's right. kind of the, the idea. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Okay. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, Todd, send me the file when you get a chance. I will definitely. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thanks, All guys. Right. Nice, yeah. nice to meet you. Hey, nice talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.